Welcome to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C, the academic entrepreneur. Some of the most successful stories in business started from failure, sometimes even multiple failures. The guests on our program have faced failure, learned to understand it, and have used it to their advantage. You can too. Get ready for success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Cheryl Lentz. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, and you know what that means. It's Dr. Cheryl Lentz. Fail faster, succeed sooner. And we have a really interesting question for a wonderful colleague that will be joining us this morning, a Dr. Aaron Glassman. Uh, we're looking at the question, have you ever thought about the psychology of words and how they impact the idea of failure and perspective? And I'll give you a bit of an example. Think of yourself as when your faculty, your teacher, somebody gives you that four-letter word called exam, and suddenly your heart starts beating faster, and you get all kinds of sweaty palms, at least a lot of my students, I'm, as you know, a college professor, and when this happens, just that four-letter word absolutely can startle and bring on all kinds of interesting psychology things. Now, if I did the exact same exercise in class, but called it just that, an exercise, none of that other stuff would happen. And so that's why our focus today is going to be on the psychology of words. Let's look at what our friend Shakespeare, rose is a rose is a rose, right? Yeah, maybe not so much. As we talk about the other F word here, the idea of failure, failure can sometimes paralyze people to the point of absolute indecision, indecisiveness, inability to be able to do something that's going to be able to help them move forward. And it's this whole idea of how our psyche is tied into this. And what I mean by this is think about the idea of how you value your worth. A lot of my students, myself included, will look at the opportunity of thinking that I am because I achieve. I have a very high achievement Uh, personality, the fact that I feel really good about myself when I'm bringing money in the door, when my students say nice things about me, when our book just went number one Amazon bestseller, when the award came in and all of that, and it, it makes me feel good. However, the challenge becomes is my personality is really tied that I feel good because I'm doing something, I'm achieving something. And herein lies the challenge with failure. When I'm not achieving something, when the money isn't coming in the door for my business, when I'm not getting accolades from my colleagues or from my students in there, there's that little voice in the back of my head that goes, am I good enough? And so I want to look at this idea of why we can't simply be okay with who we are, at least some of us, me in particular, because the idea is the quality of being a human being, right? It doesn't say human doing. It says human being, to be okay with who we are, regardless of what we do or what we can do. And therein lies a real big interesting piece regarding the motivation and why failure and why what I call judgment words are really important. Think of the idea of money, for example. Money is not inherently good or bad. Money just is. The challenge becomes as many people will have a judgment about money, um, those who have it and those who don't. And that's a really interesting word when people will have those particular polaring types of experiences. The same idea of exam. 
just sends some people into an absolute frenzy when they just get nervous simply because of that psychology of that word. And there are other judgment words that are in, but most of the time is the judgment is what we put on them, not the words themselves. What society and cultural barriers talk about in terms of how this relates back to what we think of ourselves or what often has is the idea of failure. And as we've talked about here often, the idea is for us to disassociate these types of negative implications, negative connotations, negative, the word just sends me into a panic, because failure is not supposed to be something that is a bad thing necessarily, although many of us tend to have equated with that, because idea of failure is not an option. Well, as we have talked about in this show many times since we've launched, is sometimes failure is the only option if we can simply make friends with it. Because the idea of failure is simply part of the business life cycle, which is what we're going to be talking to Dr. Aaron Glassman today, is looking at how do we get into the idea of things that are going to fail? Because there's no way that everyone is going to succeed all the time. It's just not Practical, practical. It's not an expectation that we should have, particularly as a recovering perfectionist. It's rather challenging to be able to look at the idea of going, well, how do we make friends with failure and how do we use it strategically so that it doesn't paralyze us? I've seen this in my students many times. I've seen it in my own personality years ago that I've been really working to cultivate because of that sense of I have to be perfect. I have to achieve and everything that I do has to absolutely be amazing. And particularly as a well-published author, that's a challenge because of that it's never good enough syndrome. Right? It's the ability going, well, I don't want to do this unless it's perfect. And I don't know if I'm going to publish this book because there might be a mistake in it. And the answer is, yeah, there might be. And when we publish something, we put our thoughts that are out there. When we're on the radio, when we're going to be in a classroom as a teacher, we put we we take the choice and we take the chance of being able to make ourselves vulnerable. So we're going to learn some interesting things from Dr. Aaron today. He's an assistant professor of management and IT strategy in the College of Business at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. This guy's got game, let me tell you. He's transitioned into um, academia from the aerospace industry where he's a pilot. He understands the idea of what goes up must come down. He's an entrepreneur. He understands safety experts. So we're going to be talking with him today and specifically about two wonderful things regarding failure. The product life cycle that you're looking at, just the normal cycle of events, and to be able to look at how failure integrates as part of that. And the idea of why failure is such a gosh darn emotional topic, as we're saying. I mean, I have students, and I was one of them years ago before I completed my doctorate, is the ability that failure would paralyze me. I was so afraid And part of that is the expectation we put in our students, and part of that, I think, is the orientation of how we as society think about this. Remember these judgment words, but remember the perspective as well. It's so much easier to tell somebody what's wrong than to catch them doing something right in the moment. And so there's a lot of these judgment words come to be because even as faculty, I will tell you that I'm in the business of telling my students what they've done wrong. And I have to really train myself to not only point out things they could do better, notice my reframing of this, but also to show them different ways that it might be stronger. 
But when we have that infamous red pen, do you remember that when we were kids and you, you just have this big old red pen that just marked up your paper seven ways from Sunday? And we got the stigma, the fact that, oh my gosh, the red pen is bad, simply because, again, we got to that emotional outlet of being suggesting to that somehow there's something wrong with us. You no, know? And so now what I'm trying to help with my students is show them opportunities for improvement instead of calling them corrections, giving them feedback instead of criticism, giving them the opportunity to say, well, yeah, that's good, but let's look at the what could be better, what might even be best and stronger so that we can start repositioning these judgment words instead of making somebody feel bad when there's a spelling error or when they miss something or when, because again, I'm a publish, I'm a, a professional publisher. This is what I do is I correct things. I am a professional trainer and a dissertation coach and I teach people what's wrong first, but I'm really been the last few years trying to teach them going, let's separate yourself, the person, you're fabulous, you're magnificent, we love you, from your writing, yeah, not so much yet, but that little three little word, yet, Y-E-T, is a pivotal, pivotal word that changes judgment from a permanent, oh my gosh, you fail, it's awful, it's over, you suck, it's done, to yeah, that's where we are today, but it's not permanent unless we stop playing the game. When you're looking at editing, and I know for a lot of my doctoral students and a lot of my book clients that we have done, and even for myself, editing just seems to be a perpetual, perpetual. But instead of hearing us saying that, yeah, this is what I did wrong, why can't we look at it the flip side of being, well, what can I do better? And take that emotion out of the ability, well, it isn't criticism, it's a gift. It's offered with love and kindness, although many of my students don't take it that way. And so we have to teach the process of failure, teach the process of improvement, take the emotionality out and get that F word into a way different perspective because many students, it paralyzes them that it did me years and years ago. But if we aren't willing to make friends with failure, if we can't take in the emotionality out of failure, if we can't take the judgment out of failure, success is going to be difficult. Success is going to be something we always question whether or not we deserve, whether or not we're good enough. Remember that idea of human being. We are good enough simply because we are here. We are looking at achievement that's separate and independent of our quality, of our ability as people. And so I try to be able to offer this to my students of being able to separate those two so that they can simply see the perpetual editing as a gift, as a game, as an opportunity to get better because no matter how much you edit, there comes a point in time, particularly within the publishing world, where it's good enough when you're going to finally submit that paper to your faculty because it's good enough. It's the next draft. It's not perfect. It may never be perfect, but it's good enough. And therein lies a challenge for a perfectionist to be able to look at how we're going to be able to be okay with what is today. It may not be perfect. It may never be perfect, but by gone, it's good enough for today, right? Best is best. And the idea and the secret is to be better today than we were yesterday. And so when we come back from break, we're going to be talking with Dr. Aaron Glassman and we're going to be looking at some amazing opportunities that he has because he's an amazing teacher. I mean, really, this guy's got game. He has, has the, such an amazing way of looking at the world. That's why I want to bring him to you as a gift to you today to hear his perspective and to a unique 
way of looking at the idea of failure and particularly this emotionality because we have attached consequences to things and what we're trying to be able to do is separate efforts from outcomes. The world evaluates us based on our achievements and our outcomes but we evaluate ourselves hopefully on just who we are as people and how we show up and how we better the world and how we can be simply human beings in the moment and be good enough for who we are even though the things we may do may not yet be where we might like them to be. And therein lies the ability to fail faster, succeed sooner, to give the ability that we're just going to practice and we're going to make sure that we can improve and take some of that emotionality and some of that judgment and some of those things out to make this opportunity and to change this perspective. So I'm Dr. Cheryl Lentz. You're with us today with the radio show Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C. After the break, we'll be talking to Dr. Aaron Glassman from Ember University. So please stay with us. We'll be right back after these messages. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Congratulations on obtaining your doctorate degree and your first university faculty position. Well done. The university expects you to publish, and you don't know where to begin. Contact the Refractive Thinker Team, the premier academic publishing house, where discriminating scholars publish with purpose. To learn more about the 16-time award-winning series just for doctoral scholars, contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or visit the website refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. The robots are coming. The robots are coming. Actually, they're already here. Digital technology just keeps on moving forward at a faster pace. And as human beings, we need to know what's next. Join host Dave Gerber for Preparing for Robots. We take an inside look at AI, robots, and new technology to better prepare you for the future. If you're concerned about your future value and the impact of all things digital on business, you need to listen every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a graduate or doctoral student pursuing your master's or doctorate degree? Do you continue to struggle with your writing to meet university expectations? Hire an award-winning editing and coaching team to help you earn that degree faster. We provide individualized programs to meet your unique needs. Graduation awaits. Call us to make your appointment today. The first call is free. Contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or at refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. 
You're tuned in to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. To reach Dr. C or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl Lentz at gmail.com. Now, back to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. Here's Dr. C. And welcome back. I'm Dr. Cheryl Lentz, and you're here with us on Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C. And today we have the honor and privilege of Dr. Aaron Glassman, professor of extraordinary talents from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. And we'd like to welcome to the show. Aaron, welcome. We're glad to have you, my friend. Oh, I'm absolutely glad to be here, although I was nervous when you uh, told me it was on failure and then thought of me, but I look forward to contributing some wise words on how we can uh, make failure not so painful and a bit more fun and informative. Absolutely. It's kind of an amazing thing because you and I have been extraordinary friends for a long period of time, and you just have a very unique way of looking at the world, particularly with failure. So let's dig right into it. So let's talk about the a little bit about your background that gives you such an expertise in this area. Tell our listeners to get to know you just a little bit. Absolutely. Um, so in the spirit of the conversation, I've, I've failed often, but in a great, informative, innovative, and learning type of way. Um, so my career began actually in the aerospace industry um, as a pilot and then became an instructor pilot and then did a lot of simulation training where I watched pilots succeed and fail um, and then ultimately learned to succeed again. And then from there, I moved over to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University and uh, my degree kind of leverages all of these things although I kind of positioned myself in the IT strategy and management space because those are the places I love to be. And interestingly enough, there are places where we have a lot of failure and a lot of opportunity. So I enjoy looking at the different failure profiles and how we can flip those failures around into successes and from those successes into continued successes. So I hate to say failure is what I'm interested in, but well, that would be true. I'm interested in failure. Absolutely. I used to scare the heck out of my bosses all the time. And I always looked the the look on their face was you want me you want to teach your people to fail and you want to do this. Why? And it was just something so antithesis of what the we teach because we always teach success. I'm going, I want them to get all of the mistakes out of their system, get them over with so we never have to visit this again. And my bosses would look at me, it's like, is that possible? I'm like, it depends on how your perspective looks at. So let's start with this with the idea of why do we as a society always look at errors first? It's easier to point out something wrong than it is right. And why does bad news travel so darn faster than good news? Isn't that just kind of anticlimactic? You'd think the opposite, wouldn't you? You know, you would, and it seems to be one of those organizational cultural design, I'll use the word flaw for now, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, um, in that we we don't know how to be as complementary, and when we are complementary, we sometimes aren't sure the significance of our own compliments. When you say, hey, great job, um, that's affirming, but there isn't a lot we can necessarily do with that in the culture of continuous and perpetual improvement. You're almost uh, preconditioned to say, hey, look, I found this problem. I found this area of improvement. I found this thing that you could possibly fix, do better, elevate, enhance, etc." cetera. Um, and then that becomes the focus of the conversation, almost to, to the exclusion of all the things that we've done right. So what that has led to is a very critical culture to where it's become our nature to look at 
perfection as the expectation and failure as the outlier. And then our tendency to point out the outlier simply perpetuates um, that kind of behavioral trait within the organization. And that's why every time we do something right, it doesn't always make it to the boss's desk. But, you know, we, we make a mistake, especially a mistake that has some visibility, and the entire organization will know about it um, before sunrise the next day. It's an interesting phenomenon. Oh, and there's that whole point, you know, do something right, no one remembers, do something bad, no one forgets. I mean, that's just a cliche for a reason, and it just seems to be we're more comfortable with this. So the question would be, what's the solution? How do we integrate this failure analysis so that it doesn't perpetuate it and we can get beyond it? Because, you know, so many people just don't. I think we have to accept that success and failure, while it's it's natural from a dictionary perspective to view them as value judgments, um, as part of a person or individual, but they really are more of part of a process. I mean, I, as a new father again, um, you know, my son will stand up, fall down, stand up, fall down, stand up, fall down, and probably not be discouraged until he ultimately, you know, crawls, walks, and then runs, and hopefully wins races running quickly. So it's it's part of who we are. It's part of our evolutionary being. But for whatever reason within the organization, we've pivoted away from a balanced and more humanistic view of how we are as people to this idealized view that, you know, success is the norm. Perfection is the norm. Doing everything perfectly is what we want from you. And if you don't do that, we're going to be quick to notice. And there's all kinds of implications um, in the quick-to-notice camp from fears and different psychological issues to lack of effort and lack of trying, um, what I call the bunt syndrome, which is if I bunt, I'll get on base, but nothing magical happened, but it's better to bunt than risk a strikeout, even though I was going for a grand slam. So we have a lot of folks that live in the bunt world, when in reality, they could be home run hitters if they simply tried harder and recognized, well, you're probably going to miss every now and then. So how do we get over that, what you call failure obsessed? And I know I have a few students and I used to be one of them. I continue to call myself a recovering perfectionist because that is a very hard mindset to get over when you are in that drive because society and promotions are all about you're not going to fail your way upwards, you're going to succeed. And so many people just never really want to try and so they never achieve that crowning glory they've always imagined. So how do we avoid being failure obsessed and use it as a tool instead of something as a stick to beat us? Some of that, I think, is the difference between senior leadership, um, what's referred to as middle management, and then rank and file. Um, When you have performance expectations, we benchmark them against failure as a measure of success, which is probably not the proper way to do business, which is if you don't fail, you've by virtue succeeded. Um, Mm -hmm. And that creates an avoidance mindset, which I don't think is 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 beneficial. Um, in the mid-level management, we start getting into um, bonuses and compensation and benefits to where you know the more you succeed, the more money you could potentially earn. And that incentivizes success and it kind of makes us risk averse or failure averse. However, when you get to senior leadership into the C-suite, something weird happens, which is you can completely screw up as the chief executive officer of a large company, um, you know, tank the stock prices and do 
all kinds of horrible things. And then you just are hired by a neighboring company to come and turn it around and help it rise up the ladder. And people viewed your failures as a point of learning and as a point of knowledge uptake. So the question then becomes is how do we push that, that mindset of, hey, Failure is part of learning. Failure is part of thriving. Knowing what not to eat helps us understand what to eat. How do we push that down the organizational ladder as a cultural element so that no matter where you are, um, failure isn't the do-all, end-all, and we don't obsess over it because it isn't. And when you look at senior executives and their success and failure profiles, while some do go out of their way to hide the things that weren't as uh, media proud, it doesn't mean that there weren't a lot of failures and are at the helm of an organization. Well, and I love the Jack Welch thing. If you know his book, Winning, I think it's chapter nine, when they had the $1 million mistake and the gentleman walks into Jack's office and is going to give him his resignation. Jack's like, you're kidding, right? I just spent a million dollars on you and a million dollar mistake. I'm not losing that learning now because then I have no way to be able to capitalize on it. And that whole perspective has always stayed with me as the ability. I don't want to reward failure, but I'm not going to walk away from the benefits that I can learn from failure because I've done some whoppers and I'll tell you without those failures I wouldn't be where I am today as scary as that sounds well it's not the million dollar mistake is a beautiful example Um, and what's fascinating to me is how quickly we are to take organizational tribal or tacit knowledge and for lack of a better word terminate it so we take somebody who has made a mistake, and it wasn't a mistake that involves gross negligence. It wasn't mismanagement or, or lack of trying or lack of this or lack of that. It just didn't work out. It was a calculated risk. I rolled the dice, and now I have snake eyes, and we didn't win, and that's okay. Um, but the, the, the penchant for there has to be a consequence, a punishment, almost to walk into your boss's office and be prepared to take the, you know, the spanking um, isn't necessarily the proper way to do business. And other cultures um, throughout the world view failure very differently. And the idea of the million-dollar mistake is one that in other countries and cultures would simply be part of the evolutionary process of your own learning and development and really wouldn't be viewed as anything other than trial and error, which fundamentally isn't bad. Well, if you look at the 3M Corporation, for example, it's one of my favorite errors ever is the fact that what didn't succeed for one experiment, Post-it Notes, became the glue that worked for Post-it Notes. I mean, it was a colossal failure for one project, but it became a billion-dollar industry because somebody recognized something that didn't work initially and put it to a different use, and ta-da, a billion dollars later, we're all doing the Post-it Notes audit. And that's the ability to see what is already there, but to see it differently. So when we come back, I want to be able to explore this emotionality of these words and see if we can't take the sting out of failure just a little bit as we come back. So listeners, uh, we're, we're listening to Dr. Cheryl Lentz with Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. My guest is Dr. Aaron Glassman. We will be right back in just a few moments, and we are going to look at the psychology of words. So t- stay tuned. We'll be right back. out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Congratulations on obtaining your doctorate degree and your first university faculty position. Well done. The university expects you to publish and you don't know where to begin. 
contact the Refractive Thinker Team, the premier academic publishing house, where discriminating scholars publish with purpose. To learn more about the 16-time award-winning series just for doctoral scholars, contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or visit the website refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. The robots are coming. The robots are coming. Actually, they're already here. Digital technology just keeps on moving forward at a faster pace. And as human beings, we need to know what's next. Join host Dave Gerber for Preparing for Robots. We take an inside look at AI, robots, and new technology to better prepare you for the future. If you're concerned about your future value and the impact of all things digital on business, you need to listen every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a graduate or doctoral student pursuing your master's or doctorate degree? Do you continue to struggle with your writing to meet university expectations? Hire an award-winning editing and coaching team to help you earn that degree faster. We provide individualized programs to meet your unique needs. Graduation awaits. Call us to make your appointment today. The first call is free. Contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or at refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You're tuned in to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. To reach Dr. C or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl Lentz at gmail.com. Now, back to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. Here's Dr. C. And welcome back, listeners. This is Dr. Cheryl Lenz with Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner, the Academic Entrepreneur. Today we are talking with Dr. Aaron Glassman. And for this segment, we want to be able to look at how do we take the sting out of failure as such an emotional topic, as such a, a judgment, as such a point of our culture in terms of achievement. So how do we get so attached to these consequences? And what's the solution, a wise one? Oh boy, um, I'm not sure I can elevate my thoughts to that of, of the wise one, but I will do my best. Um, <laughs> one of the questions that I've always had is what is it that we fear? Do we, feel, do we actually fear failure or do we fear the consequences of failure, the negative publicity um, and things of that nature? So it makes me ask two distinct questions. Question number one is what can the organization do um, to minimize the 
consequences of failure, and what can the individual do to maximize the opportunities that are surrounded, um, sometimes in failure, both as a learning opportunity, a point of innovation, a point of creation, etc. And then if we have this kind of duality of approach toward the organization doesn't immediately punish failure and the individual doesn't view failure as immediately consequential, I really wonder if we could take some of the sting out of it. Well, this is something that we look at. How do we make friends with failure? I mean, if we're looking at the end result, right, that little word yet, failure is simply someone who hasn't succeeded yet. And those entrepreneurs are those who won't let failure stop them, i.e., case in point, Edison. If he would have stopped at 7 or 15 or 359 or 776 instead of the 997 ways how not to build a light bulb, to him it wasn't failure. It was simply a one more way how not to go around that mulberry bush and we try something else. For him it wasn't a big deal. For some, after a half a dozen or a dozen or however many tries that our risk aversion to failure may be, we stop. What is the secret for the entrepreneur that keeps going and just let it, let it go of a, hey, we learned something. Now we learned what not to do. Let's move forward. What's the secret? I think some of it is being motivated by the goal. Um, so failure is an outcome, not a goal. Nobody wakes up and says, hey, I'm going to fail today. But it's a very <laughs> real outcome. And it's a very real possibility. So I think some of it is just simply a matter of focusing not on the outcome, but on the goal. So you mentioned a bit earlier about 3M um, and, of course, about light bulbs and things of that nature. And if I had a choice between working for WD-40 or Formula 409, I would have chosen WD-40 because both companies named their products after the number of iterations of chemistry that it took to find a successful product, the 409th iteration versus the 40th. And what's interesting about that is that, you know, I can only imagine the chemist standing there, you know, at iteration 310, banging his or her head against the wall saying, what on earth am I going to do and not realizing they're almost a, a hundred iterations away from the successful formula. So, but that's the difference between being focused on the, the daily outcome or being focused on the goal. And I think kind of differentiating the outcome versus the goal is mission critical to not see failure as an insult to the goal, but just maybe a temporary outcome as we move towards the goal. And I think that's amazing because when we started talking about the emotionality of words, we have interesting discussions about those who are amazing um, organizers of crisis. And when they look at things that might tip people over, for example, I am always amazed by somebody who runs a major city trauma unit at the emergency room, right? You have this guy who is looking at organized chaos all around him, all kinds of things, or he or she can go wrong. And because he is so trained in, chaos, in crisis management, risk version, and knowing that not everything's going to work, but you are in the moment and you have to try somebody, somebody's life is on the line. And I am so amazed at their calmness. It's almost eerie that they are so lack of emotion. And I know you have to be that as a pilot as well, is the engine goes off and this one's on fire and things that go wrong in a crisis, that the way and the secret to getting out of that crisis is calm, is taking the emotion and the stress and the, oh my gosh, my heart's pumping in there and getting all of that stress out of there in order to do that. We understand that in a crisis, how can we take that emotionality, that sting, that we understand that we have to think with a clear head or people might not 
survive and just apply that to everyday concepts of failure. Is there a way to get there from here? There is. And I think um, it's to integrate failure as part of success, which is something that we haven't done. We viewed failure as a hard stop. You know, in the language of a mm-hmm. computer code, you know, that is what throws the error and the program quits as soon as we achieve failure or a failure mode. And in reality, that's just not true. It's the furthest from the truth. Um, maybe in a computer code, you could be argued that it is true, but one of the things that I've talked about um, in, in other um, kind of lecture circuits is I failed my way to the flight deck. And when you say that out loud, it sounds really, really weird, um, which is, wait a minute, who wants to fly with a pilot who failed his way to the flight deck? But in reality, when you look at all the skills that a pilot has, I did not master any one of them on the first try, period, end of sentence. It did not happen. Everything from taxiing um, to takeoff to landing to navigation to emergencies, you name it, I did not do it perfectly the first time. Therefore, it could be said factually that I failed my way to the cockpit or the flight deck because everything that I learned was iterations of getting better and getting better and getting better until I achieve mastery. But boy, that took a lot of time. And a lot of folks, you know, should be thankful that that mastery takes a lot of time. But at no point along the way in the simulator environment or the training environment, when a mistake was made, did somebody, you know, kind of look over my shoulder and say, wow, that was a career ender. Boy, you really hurt a lot of people um, because that was a safe place. And I think one of the things that we aren't seeing as much of in organizational settings is the same safe place in a traditional learning organization where it's okay to make a mistake. And even if the mistake has consequences, because that's part of a learning organization and what we need to be doing. Well, and I think it's amazing because what started this radio show is a chapter I wrote 10 years ago in the Refractive Thinker, amazingly enough, called Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. Well, I introduced a character called Peter the Plumber because everybody gets annoyed that you're going to pay a plumber in your house anywhere from $150 to $250 for maybe 10 to 15 minutes in your home. And they're like, I'm paying for him for that time. It's like, no, you're not. You're paying him for the fact that he has failed up to that point in time so that when he does get to your house, he can fix that problem the first time in your home in that 10 minutes and he walks out the door with a big check, just like someone who went to medical school, just like someone who went to flight school. They're paying the pilot so that they are going to get them on the ground this flight. They're paying you for all of your failure to get to that point. And I submit they're paying you to fail faster, to succeed sooner. The more you get all those mistakes out of your way, the more you know how to do it the right way, the sooner you're going to get promoted with the airlines because they know you're going to be the safest bet in town. Well, it's similar to, you know, I could say with great certainty, I know 101 ways not to land an airplane. Um, (laughs) And those same iterations are true. But I think the key here when we talk about the emotionality of a topic um, such as this is, number one, creating a safe place to where failure is part of growth and learning and opportunity up to mastery. It's not the day one expectation and it's not the rollout expectation. And number two, when things are um, mission critical, obviously once we learn to fly the airplane and we have a plane full of passengers, we really don't want to fail and success is really the only outcome. And if there is a problem, you know, aloft and we deal with it to the best of our ability, but in high, even in high performance teams, it doesn't mean everything is perfect. It just means nothing horrible happened. And I think that's stepping away from perfection as the goal. I'm not sure I would always label it failure, 
but I think it's important to recognize that not everything, not not every flight is perfect, and there probably still were some failures on the flight deck. A missed radio call, for example, writing down a number that you transcribe and then read back incorrectly later. Um, those things happen, but those are all opportunities to learn and grow and do better. Um, those aren't necessarily excuses to toss aside the airplane and say, this isn't for me. Well, and I think therein lies a really important point that you're mentioning, Erin, is the fact that when life goes right, it's easy. I mean, it's just so easy when you put things in and it just works like it's supposed to. It's when things don't work perfectly, wherein that we're still in that airplane and it's still flying and things happen, engines burp, things hiccup, whatever may happen when you're doing whatever it is you're doing. The question is, is what do you do when things go wrong? And you're right, it isn't necessarily a failure in the sense that did you, was there something you couldn't do? That's why they call it accidents. And the true definition of the word accident is things that couldn't be prevented. Things that we didn't realize, uh, mother nature, a bird strike in an airplane, for example, a lightning strike of things that you can't possibly anticipate but you can plan for if they happen that you'll still get the bird on the and or the airplane on the ground safely because you have done it in simulation a million and one times we plan for catastrophes we hope they don't happen but we plan in case they do because we're human beings and and life happens and so i'm always amazed that you're learning things that can go wrong so you know how to handle them to make them go right when they're in the moment well, and, and that's something that I think we need to move people away from. And some of that is just that inner grit or some, I, I call it an inner toughness. To imagine, you know, you miss a radio call, you're having a bad day, you're reported to the airport, um, and you probably should have caught an extra hour of sleep and something doesn't go right. You know, you don't just jump out of the cockpit seat, open the door and make an announcement to the passengers that says, look, I'm just really not in the mood to fly this plane today. I have made too many mistakes. I'm just going to go sit in seat 1A and let somebody else fly this plane. Um, who's next? Um, it just doesn't happen that way. And thank God it's never happened that way for a million and one different reasons. But that's part of the perseverance process and recognizing that not every failure is a catastrophe. And I think for whatever reason, we've made failure and catastrophe synonyms. And they're by far not synonyms at all. And there's different degrees of error and mistake. I would even use the word failure only after I've used words like error and mistake in a sentence for too quick to go there. I think that is absolutely right because there are so many things that don't go perfectly, but yet it, the flight is a success because nobody knew what happened in the cockpit. They just know that they took off and they landed safely, but they didn't hear all the in-between stuff, right? And it's the in-between stuff that crisis was averted because of how well the pilot and others work together to overcome hiccups and mistakes and errors and goofy stuff that just life happens. And that's why I like to be able to show that Life happens, and it's easy when things go right. It doesn't. It's not so easy when it doesn't. So as we bring our segment with you to a close, Dr. Aaron, what's the takeaway here that you could give us that one absolute bullet point, that magic point of learning that say, I should do this to be able to learn the most from failure? What's your advice? Well, I think I can distill this down to just a sentence, and that is failure is an integral part of success. Finding success without some form of failure is an amazing amount of luck that most of us don't have. And then finally, failure is not something to fear. 
I think that is absolutely brilliant. So listeners, we have been listening to the wonderful advice, counsel, and orientation of Dr. Aaron Glassman, a wonderful uh, assistant professor of management and IT in the College of Business at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. Aaron, where can people find you for additional conversations so they can talk to you offline if they want to? Oh, absolutely. I can be reached um, by email at Aaron at draaronglassman.com or faculty.erau.edu and search for Aaron Glassman. I would love to continue the conversation with anybody interested in learning more about how to turn failure into success. Outstanding. Well, listeners, that's wonderful. When we come back from break, we'll bring the show to a close. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Aaron. We're very grateful to have your perspective today. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Congratulations on obtaining your doctorate degree and your first university faculty position. Well done. The university expects you to publish and you don't know where to begin. Contact the Refractive Thinker Team, the premier academic publishing house, where discriminating scholars publish with purpose. To learn more about the 16-time award-winning series just for doctoral scholars, contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or visit the website refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. The robots are coming. The robots are coming. Actually, they're already here. Digital technology just keeps on moving forward at a faster pace. And as human beings, we need to know what's next. Join host Dave Gerber for Preparing for Robots. We take an inside look at AI, robots, and new technology to better prepare you for the future. If you're concerned about your future value and the impact of all things digital on business, you need to listen every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a graduate or doctoral student pursuing your master's or doctorate degree? Do you continue to struggle with your writing to meet university expectations? Hire an award-winning editing and coaching team to help you earn that degree faster. We provide individualized programs to meet your unique needs. Graduation awaits. Call us to make your appointment today. The first call is free. Contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or at refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You're tuned in to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. To reach Dr. C or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl Lentz at gmail.com. Now, back to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. Here's Dr. C. 
And welcome back, listeners. This is Dr. Cheryl Lentz with Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C. We have been talking with a marvelous colleague of mine, Dr. Aaron Glassman, and he has some very unique opportunities for us to think about how do we think about failure? How do we take the emotionality out of it? How do we look at the opportunity of failure and the gift that it has to offer us rather than being too catastrophic with the word, too too quick to judgment, too quick to what he calls the failure-adverse mindset. But my favorite thing that he said, and I want everyone to pay real close attention to this, is failure is never a goal, but failure analysis should be an outcome. We don't get up and suggest that today we're going to be the biggest colossal fail the world has ever seen. That's not the plan. But sometimes things don't go according to plan, and it becomes a different outcome than we expected. But how we address that outcome is the ability for us to look at whether or not failure is going to be permanent or failure is simply going to be another bump in the road. But the idea of the fear of success can't drive us towards failure, and the fear of failure can't minimize our success. Failure is simply part of the equation. And the whole idea is to, again, depersonalize failure, take the um, idea that it can hurt us out of the equation. Because remember, just like Peter the Palmer is what Dr. Aaron is telling us about piloting. The idea of piloting is you can fail in the simulator. You have to learn how not to do things. You have to learn, like his new son, is the ability is it's a game as a child. You're going to get up, you're going to fall down. You're going to get up, you're going to fall down until you master the walking thing. And eventually, I wish we could be more childlike in the fact that children don't let failure stop them. It's just, a, okay, I fell down. They giggle, which is usually fun, and they get up. And to them, it's just part of the process. How we ever get away from that is wherein lies some of this emotionality, some of this judgment, some of these cultural stigmas that we have the ability that we want to steer away from failure, thinking that is the worst possible thing in the world. And I love the idea of WD-40. They put their failure right in the name, Um, product 409, uh, the idea of how many times it took them to get it right. And just remember You're not paying somebody to come into your home as an expert for the time you're in your home. You're really paying them for the failure it took them to get it right in your home. Medical school is, how did you learn on the cadavers first, right? How did you learn in the simulations first? How did you learn ways not to do this where it was a safe place, as Aaron was telling us? We have got to learn that we aren't going to come out of the womb walking, Although when I see some of these young people and how they do digital technology, I'm kind of wondering if they weren't in the womb working on those digital phones and those smartphones because they come out of those. And if you want to look at somebody to solve something, hire a teenager. They do so well with computers because they don't yet know fear. They've never had someone say, well, you did it wrong. And they're like, well, I don't care. There's seven different ways, at least, to do something in a computer. So we'll just find a different way around that mulberry bush. And they have absolutely no judgment with it. I was so afraid I'd break my computer further when my teenager came over. And he's like, no, no, no. If this one doesn't work, then we'll try this. And absolutely the same even keel. No emotionality, no tears, no anger, no fuss, no, it was just, yeah, whatever. And I love that attitude and just looking at the ability to depersonalize fear. 
to manage the risk, to simply look at, well, let's, that doesn't work, we'll try something else, no big deal. The problem is for many of us who have learned that fear is a consequence we don't want, fear could be catastrophic to an outcome that, you know, if we screw this project up, we won't get promoted. If we screw up these metrics that were being evaluated against by our boss, we won't get promoted or we might even get fired. Those types of consequences are a difficult thing in society because we don't have an opportunity to learn. We aren't going to be perfect yet until we have the ability to practice. That's why there's the apprentice program. The guy who's number one at United Airlines didn't get there when he graduated flight school. He has oh, 10,000 hours is what Malcolm Gladwell says you have to have in order to master something. The question is, is how do we address the emotionality, the psychology of words while we're in the mastery phase, while we're in the process of learning. Some people don't have that patience for the process. And that's why I used to scare my bosses all the time. It's like, I want them to fail faster. I want you to get through the process as fast as you possibly can so you can get it all out of your system, know every way not to do it so then when we do have the, not the dress rehearsal anymore, but the opening night, you get it all right. And it works. But herein lies the other thing that we have to consider is just because we define success as when you get in an airplane and, and everything works, when you get on a plane and everything's peaches and cream when you get off the airplane, plane, that you make an assumption that nothing went wrong in route. The challenge is nothing went wrong that you know about. As Aaron said, the pilot just didn't give up and say, you know what, I have had a bad day, nothing has worked, no technology has worked, the error button, that doesn't work, this doesn't work in there, and I'm just going to go sit in 1A and somebody else can fly the plane, and I'll just wait till we land. That's not how it works. When you have the accountability of being in the airplane, those souls are your responsibility from sunup till sundown, and meaning until you get that plane wheels down on the ground, but that doesn't mean it happened perfectly. The question is, We don't want to hear about things that aren't going well until we're on the ground if we want to hear them at all. Because a successful flight is when everybody makes it on the ground, but sometimes it's a little bit interesting in how you get there and the goofy things because nothing's going to work right all the time. The question is, is how do we manage that risk in the moment so that the end result, the outcome, the goal is what we are hoping for. And so I want to make sure that we have the opportunity to look at some of these questions you're asking. And the question we had for today, has you ever thought about the psychology of words and how they impact failure and perspective? And Dr. Aaron Glassman, our guest for today, had an amazing perspective that we were looking to be able to reframe things, relook at them a little bit differently, and to look at the idea as failure as a not a goal, but simply an outcome. And the fact that it's not catastrophic until we look at what the finalness of the goal may be. So I want you to review some of the things that Dr. Glassman has offered to us, as well as the whole focus of the process of failure, which is really the focus of this program, is we want to help you understand the process of failure, understand that it's simply part of the ability to be successful. And so as part of what we want to do on this radio show is to allow you the ability to ask questions and the ability to continue to shape this conversation as we look at all of 
parts failure that have happened with things like post-it notes and the things like WD-40 and 409 and all of these other opportunities. So I want to give you some of our Twitter information we have. It's um, twitter.com, Dr. Cheryl Lenz, facebook.com, Lens, and our Facebook page, Success Through Failure. So do make sure that you're part of our conversation because we want to hear about your secrets, your failures that you have been to be able to fail faster, get it out of the way so that when you get to the outcome, when you get to the opening night of the show, success is all that you see. So I want to be able to thank our guest, Dr. Aaron Glassman from Embry-Riddle University for sharing his perspective with us today. And I want to keep you coming back every Thursday as we talk with our experts so they can show you the changes to overcome failure, things that are going to happen as you're in your journey of going through learning and mastery and so that you're not going to allow the fear of failure to take you out and to stop you for what you're doing. So I want to thank you for joining us today. My name is Dr. Cheryl Lentz. Fail faster, succeed sooner, and have a fabulous week. We will look forward to seeing you every Thursday at noon, Central Standard Time. I'm your host, Dr. Cheryl Lentz. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us this week for Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C, the academic entrepreneur. Dr. Cheryl Lentz invites you to listen again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's time for you to find your success. We'll talk again next week.